Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's August 31st, 2018. You're listening to the greatest poker cast that was ever invented. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. And you're home. It's You are home. Home briefly, yes. Home briefly. You're, you're away more than you're here. Have a 5 a.m. flight. Who booked that? That's where, ridiculous. Where are you going now? It's not for us. Uh, no, Columbus. Okay. I see. The Ryan Day era begins. Oh, yeah. Oh, geez. <laughs> don't even get me started on college football. I, I uh, You know, don't get me started on a lot of things. I'm, I'm, not, here to, I'm not here to talk about a lot of things today. I, I'm... Uh, the first, I'm, first time I've ever heard not to get you started on anything. I know. I'm depressed. I'm I'm bumming about a lot of things today, and I don't want to get into it on the show. We should probably just talk about poker because I'll drone. Well, that's on good because this happens to be a poker show. We got a lot of poker content today, so there's a lot of poker. In luck. In luck. <laughs> some of it I'm going to have some serious things to say about. Some of it I'm going to be like, "Yeah, why are we even talking about this?" And other stuff I'm going to be like, "Wow!" So get wow. ready, buckle in. You're previewing a roller coaster ride today. <laughs> Can't wait. All right, let's start with the Ania Poker Tour. It's uh, We just wrapped it up at the Atlantis Casino Resort Spa in Reno, Nevada, and had one of our best final table stories yet, which we'll get to here in a minute. Uh, but it ended up being a fantastic series. Looking forward to having them invite us back out there. Um, just had a, a blast out there, not just at Atlantis, but also the whole Reno area. It was a lot of fun. But uh, as far as the tournament, we met every single guarantee, including the $1,100 buy-in main event. Uh, we hit the number right on the head there, but most of the rest of them we beat comfortably, so that's always good. Um, and the main event saw a lot of entries from our friends at Thunder Valley, and seven of the final nine players were regulars there. That's always good. I mean, it's only a two-hour drive there, but um, it, it's kind of cool now that we've got all these tour stops where I'm seeing the same people now. So, so you said that the seven of the nine were regulars at Thunder Valley, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure what you meant by that. Okay. So, so those guys could literally like be one hour away from both places. And it could be pretty simple for yeah, them to. It just depends how fast you drive. Yeah, yeah. That's or whatever. Not everybody know. gets a Chevy Camaro rental car like I did. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it, it's it's very convenient. Um, I mean, there, there's always a lot of cross play there. I mean, you get a lot of Reno players in Thunder Valley as well too. Um, it just depends on the weather. In summer, it's fine. Yeah, the, yeah, the the, over the mountain. But uh, it's also nice to see uh, a lot of Bay Area players made the way all the way over to Reno. I mean, again, that's not a bad drive from the Bay Area to Thunder Valley, like two hours. But then there's another two hours to Reno. So that was the commitment. Um, and we had a lot of San Francisco, San Jose players um, that I noticed there, including our uh, main event winner, which we'll get to in a minute. So Cool. Um, in fact, actually, we'll get to it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so our champion is a name you'll recognize from our last event. Um, and if you have a copy of our current issue of Anti-Up Magazine in your hands right now, that's the guy. Unreal. Unreal. 
I'm Matt Laham. I was so excited after winning the Antioch World Championship in July that he looked at our complete schedule for more events to come to. And with the Atlantis only two hours farther east than Thunder Valley, he drove over to enter. He uh, lives in Redwood City over in the Bay Area where he's engineering logistics or some other kind of thing. I have no idea what it is, but it sounds impressive. really smart. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he advanced the day two with almost twice as many ships as the player in second. That's always amazing to me. I mean, it happens quite a bit, actually, but it's always amazing when I see it. Um, and then I woke up that morning and I'm like, oh, my gosh, somebody's got a huge ship. And I'm like, oh, my, it's, it's my, I'm on. Oh, oh man. And um, if, if you have that copy of the magazine in front of you, you've probably read the article where mm-hmm. um, uh, I'm a, stayed up for twenty or uh, forty-eight straight hours, pretty much, uh, to win the world championship. Couldn't get a room last time. I just stayed up and played poker. You know, that's what you do, right? Yeah. So I saw him earlier in the tournament, and he waved at me, and I'm like, "Hey, you get any sleep?" He's like, "Nope." Oh. <laughs> so um, after he won, I asked him more about it, and he said. Um, after he advanced uh, to day two, he went and played a uh, 1-3-0 no limit until the daylight broke. And then uh, then got a couple hours uh, sleep this time before uh, day two started. Um, and uh, talk about a roller coaster ride. Uh, one, uh, when, I, when I got down uh, to day two and looked at the field, I think they brought like 26 players back. Um, I was telling uh, some of the tournament staff that, that Imod was our world champion. And, uh, and I'm like, watch him. He moves chips. And he does, you know, yeah. he goes up and down, he knows how to move the chips around the table, and he always ends up with them on his side. <clears throat> but with two tables left, uh, he lost a 1.25 million chip pot. Uh, a guy flopped uh, trip sixes on him, and uh, he thought his uh, his pair of tens was good, um, and it wasn't. Um, and so for anybody else, that would have been devastating. But I'm like, I told somebody when I saw it, I'm like, don't count him out yet. And uh, that's exactly what happened. He hunkered down, built a stack back up. And uh, with four players left, uh, he was just slightly behind the chip leader, and uh, they started seriously talking about an ICM chop. It was almost ready to collapse, Chris, um, because no one could figure out what to do with the um, the the title, the trophy, the seat in the 2019 World Championship, and the cover of the magazine. And uh, eventually they were like, all right, we're going to play. We're going to play it out. And then, uh, then Ahmed said, hey, just take 1650 off of my share. And we can be done. And they're like, okay. <laughs> and so they're all excited about that. He was all excited about that because, uh, as he said, he he was there to win the title. He he was driven to win uh, back-to-back titles. And and now he's going to be the, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, the first player to appear on a cover back-to-back. Technically, technically he's not. Technically. How, how about this? How Because I think I know where you're going. <clears throat> first player to appear solo on a cover back-to-back. Yes, yes. All right. Yes. Do you know who's been on our cover the most in some uh, form or fashion? That would be uh, the grinder, right? Yeah, he, he was on four times if you count his silhouette as one. Oh, that's right, yeah. Um, he was on when he was player of the year. He was on as part of that animated power trio we did from the f- three Florida guys at the final table. And then he was on once with his three brothers when we did the four cards, Kings of the World Series as aces. I mean, that's Kings. I mean, so those are the four. John Dolan has been on three times, but two by himself as an actual winner, and then one as part of that power trio. But yeah, a little little trivia for you there. And you have trivia when you go to trivia night at Nolan's Pub next Tuesday. <laughs> um, but quite a few people have been on twice. Yeah. Um, but uh, not back to back, and and earning it back to back too, not just you know like being one for a, a technical way of putting them on the cover, and then another time earning it. But this was legit. 
So I'm right. I'm very happy with that. I, obviously, the headline's going to be back to back because it's just it's so impressive. Um, so it's, so it's a great story, great guy. I just love talking to him afterwards. And then we, um, you know, walked him all over the resort to take multiple photos, see which one worked out. And he's just such a ham. He just likes, you know, we sat him down at the piano. Um, and just like Riska says, he just like started banging the ivories and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> but a really cool guy. And my favorite story out of all of this, and, and it's tough to say, cause there's a lot of good stories here, but, um, in the post-event interview, I was asking him because I know his family was really excited for him, and uh, he, he always talks uh, both interviews I've done with him how, how much how important family is, and he couldn't do this without uh, his wife and daughter saying you know supporting him and telling him to take off for a couple days to do it right. Right. And like my daughter was so excited, and she's a high school senior this year, and she's like he was so excited. She was telling all her friends that I won, and now I'm going to end up going to the school to teach a class on poker odds. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> you know, because we were high school senior, you know, that's kind of when you're like, all right, mom and dad, you know, I'll see you when I get home. I'll see you when I see you, right? Yeah. But, but super excited. And then he gets to go to, cl- uh, go to school and teach a poker odds. So maybe he'll turn 20 students into poker players for us and keep the up going. <laughs> keep us going. <laughs> How'd you do? You Because you, you still got some events left to play, didn't you? Yeah, I had uh, I think I think two more events I played since we uh, last did the show. It did pretty well in both. No caches, unfortunately. I, I thought I was going to get there and won. I finished fifteenth in the last event I played. Also, no limit holding, by the way. Nice. And, um, so I thought I got pretty close there, um, and it didn't happen. So before um, you before you finish the story, I don't want to forget this. So you know, everyone knows now that you and I are friends on Facebook, and you posted something on there about crappy no limit holding. And Jeannie saw that, and she goes, oh. I go, what's the matter? She goes, should he be saying that? <laughs> I said, <laughs> I said, what do you mean? She goes, He's, he owns the magazine with you. And I said, yeah. He shouldn't say crappy no limit hold him. He's going to offend somebody. I said, trust me. It's an inside joke. He's not offended anyone for calling no limit hold him crappy, especially in a magazine called Anti-Up. <laughs> Which we're going to change to Big Blind Ante Up, I think. No, oh, I already said that we should do that for April Fools next year. Yeah, we should. Big Blind Ante Up. Got Matt Savage and Ben Irwin are laughing about that. <laughs> so maybe you should. I'm glad you didn't say it on the show again here. You probably stopped well, saying But I'm glad you brought up the Big Blind Ante because I hadn't played the Big Blind Ante before last show, I don't think, right? And right. I played two now. These last two tournaments I played were both Big Blind Antes. And phenomenal. Absolutely. I mean, I, I really can't understand the criticism. And I talked to everybody at the table. Everybody loved it. Uh, no one was complaining about it. Um, one guy that liked it said, you know, the one thing, though, is when you get short. I'm like, I don't want to hear about when you get short stacked. <laughs> so when you get short stacked, that's your fault. And, you know, you're still going to put the ending in anyhow. I'm like, all right, you're right, you're right. There really is no negatives to the big blind Andy folks. I mean, you get so many more hands per hour in. And, you know, it, you know, Players still getting used to it, so they're like, "Wait a minute, I already put my big blind in." And they're like, "Yeah, no, you need ante now." And um, but you know, it takes one lap around the table, and everybody falls in line. And after that, it just makes so much more sense and so much easier. So sweet. But uh, but yeah, so I had uh, the other tournament. I didn't make it quite as far, although I had a pretty good run. But I got knocked out, and what I thought was pretty interesting. Now this is not a bad beat, so I'm not giving you a dollar, right? <laughs> um, but there was a player at my table, um, very cerebral, I'll describe him, all right? So every he had glasses and everything, and, you know, he looked like a science teacher, right? 
and um, every decision he took his time. He didn't tank. He's not one of these tankers. Uh, but he, t- you could tell the the wheels were turning every single decision, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so there was a, a, a again. I, I'm I'm shoving now with twenty big blinds, right? Which freaks everybody out there. But <laughs> so I, I shoved in with like ace queen, and um, I got to him, and uh, he took forever. Well. Forever in the sense of how quickly everybody was acting there, right? Yeah. Spent a lot of time thinking about this and eventually folded, which is great because I never want to see a flop with Ace Queen, right? I'd rather just pick up the lines. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took that, right? And then, I don't know, a couple orbits later, I shoved with Queens. Snap calls me with Ace Nine offsuit. <laughs> and flops an Ace and a Nine, you know, just dropped in with the and knocks me out. So, you know, whatever. You know, I got up, I'm like, that's what happens. But I'm like, I should have gone and asked him. I should have stuck around and asked him at a break because I'm, I'm actually fascinated by this, right? So mm-hmm. a player that spends that much time thinking about that many decisions and a long time folding. I don't know what he, he folded when I had ace-queen. But then snap calls with ace-nine? Yeah, that's bizarre. That's really and, bizarre. And we were like, I was like seat seven and he was like seat three. So, I mean, we, we couldn't really see each other. So it wasn't like... I mean, I suppose there's some kind of tell he could have got on me, but I mean, we weren't on each other's line of sight at all, so it's hard to get physical tells. Um, I mean, that that's the only thing I could think of. Like, you know, maybe I did something that made him think that I was strong, but you know, yeah. I, at that I don't know. I was shoving like every hand, so what does that mean? But no, it, just, it would just kind of surprise me that um, he made that quick a decision with Ace Nine. I don't, I don't fault him for calling. He had a lot of chips, but um, I guess it's snapped, a, maybe it depends on. Did you make your uh, your stereotypical comment about people wearing glasses being brainiacs to him, and then he got pissed uh, off at you and wanted to call and knock yeah. you out? So, yeah, I was mocking people with glasses the entire time. Yeah, that's what I figured. So if you were mocking him, he's probably just <laughs> mad, saying, screw you, you think I'm smart? Here's a stupid decision, and then knocked you out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that is bizarre. That is bizarre. Ace nine. Jeez. Bob. So yep, that was uh, that was the end of it for me. But uh, but man, I made a lot of money in the casino too. So I came home a winner. So oh good. But great great resort. I had a great time. Loved the staff there. Loved the players. And um, and hopefully we'll be talking here shortly about uh, going out there again next year. So, nice. You know. All right, uh, a little bit serious, and then we're going to finish with some fun. So you know, okay. if, if you don't like it when we get serious, just you know. Go get a sandwich. We'll be back here in five minutes or less. <laughs> All right. Uh, Poker Hall of Famer and uh, former WPT host Mike Sexton said that in light of this week's shooting at an esports competition in Jacksonville, that he expects casinos will soon install metal detectors to protect their patrons. After the shooting, he tweeted, It's a sad state of affairs, but it should be obvious by now that we want to curb senseless shootings inside buildings anyway. We need to install metal detectors at every school, arena, and store building where there is substantial traffic. Later, he told Carplayer Magazine, sadly, I've always worried about some poker player who went broke or felt uh, felt he got a bad ruling to come back and start blasting its concern. I predict casinos will go all go to metal detectors in a not-too-distant future. Now, um, I think there's been one casino I've been to where I went to a metal detector. I, I think. I, I mean, it's not – doesn't seem too foreign to me, but most of them aren't, and you just and, – and, by nature, they, they allow anybody to walk in, right? That's one of the great things about Vegas is that you can be down on your luck and walk into Bellagio and uh, use the fantastic bathroom. <laughs> right. right. Anything. Um, so that freedom, though, has a cost. I mean, it hasn't happened yet, but um, I don't know. 
Should, should we go that far? Uh, I I don't have a problem with it. Um, I, I don't know. I don't like that. You know, Sexton's giving guys ideas <laughs> that come blasting away when they get a bad beat. Well, there is that, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I mean, Mike Sexton says something, and now it's news for some reason. I don't know. But to me, it's I think it's it's probably inevitable. I mean, I, I don't see how you stop it. Um, you know, the that that huge one that happened in Vegas was just unbelievable. To to think that somebody could just sit there and stockpile for days on end. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I think, I think it probably is coming to that. I don't doubt it. If I want to fly into a plane, you know, I mean, one guy tries to light his shoe on fire and the whole world's been taking off their shoes at airports for the last 10 years, you know? So, you know, I, I don't see this as not happening. I, I, I agree. I think it will happen. It'll probably happen at schools too. Um, eventually. Yeah. It's just, it's going to be a matter of time, but someone's going to finally say, you know what, this is ridiculous. If we want to at least protect ourselves, if you're not going to do something to stop the other stuff with whatever it's curbing mental illness somehow or whatever it is that you need to do to to stop some of these things, if those things aren't going to happen, then they're going to have to do other things to stop, at least protect themselves. And it's not going to be arming them with more guns. It's going to be trying to, you know, to at least protect yourself for the places you're going as best as you can. And I think it's smart for a casino to do something like that. I mean, what are you, you're really going to be upset that, like, you and I talked about this before about flying, how, hey, if I know I'm going to be safe in the air, it's worth me getting there half an hour earlier to go through the, the metal detector and knowing everyone else is going through that same procedure. So if I want to go have a great night of poker and I don't want to get shot, yeah, do I have to take my cell phone out of my pocket and walk through a rectangle for 20 seconds? Go ahead. You know, I mean, but it is going to be a big cost. So I don't know how they pass that cost on to us, though. Well, I think casino. casino is a much better spot to do that than anybody else because yeah. you just, you know, raise, <laughs> you know, you make the odds a little bit worse, uh, make the slot machines a little tighter. Yeah, and, I mean, that's the way you do it, I guess. Yeah, but, you make a big uh, break in poker, though. So a couple things that are interesting about this. One, um, I, I have to go to a metal detector when I go to my minor league baseball game now. You know, a thousand people in the stands, but we still have to go through metal detectors for every single game there. Yeah. Um, well, major leagues too, right? Yeah, but it all, it, it would, you know, it, I don't know. I guess you're talking about scale in some sense that makes sense. Where you know, it, it, none of this really seems ne- like people are doing it to protect individuals from being shot. I think it's more um, the mass shootings, right? So yeah. that's why you think like in a big league. All right, there's twenty, thirty, forty thousand people there. That's something that somebody might see as i don't know their glory whatever right yeah not so much at a thousand at a minor league game and trust me if people see my photos from the threshers on facebook and they are the best drawing team in the florida state league <laughs> there is never anybody behind me yeah <laughs> no, so if, if you were trying to, to do a mass shooting and get the headlines that is not where i would go <laughs> because uh there's no massing of people there but anyhow um i'm off topic here but well, but before you say anything else, he, he brings up the esports competition. I mean, that wasn't a mass shooting. It was a couple of people or whatever, a handful right. of people. So anybody's vulnerable if they just want to, you know, you go to a public event and shoot people, you're going to make the news. So that, right, you know, right. I guess that could be the reason why. Um, so that, that's one thing that's interesting to me that, that baseball just seemed to jump into. And not just baseball, but um, most sports, I think, right, now right. do it. So they jumped into that. But, but you're right. It's not at – there's. There's big areas that where it's not. You just walk in and 
And so I, it's interesting to me that, that there's a, that dichotomy between who thinks that they need to have metal detectors and who don't. So um, second thing I'll say is that this kind of brings up a discussion I had with one of our listeners a couple of years ago. Um, and he's a concealed carry person. Um, and he was concerned that at one of the poker rooms he walked into, there's a, a prominent sign at the, at the out front that said no fire alarms allowed inside. Um, and he thought that was a green light for a deranged person to shoot because he knew there would be no good guys with guns inside to stop him, right? Um, but it is a concern. I mean, we've always talked about this in poker. I mean, any place you've got a place where somebody's going to get heated, that's a uh, trigger. Oh, God, it's a terrible term. But, <laughs> no, that was terrible. But it, it's the aggregate term. It's a trigger for somebody to to solve that with violence. And, you know, it, it's you go – if you play every day in a poker room, at least two out of those days, you're going to see somebody storm off in a huff, if not more, right? Yeah. Oh, it is an interesting um, concern that, um, and that's what it sounds like it happened in this esports thing. Obviously, they lost, and instead of solving it the way most of us do it, he solved it the new way of solving problems, I guess. So, yeah. So I, you know, I, there's two sides of that. Of like, do you uh, do you try to keep guns out, or do you allow people with guns to come in? Um, I don't know. It's crazy. And then the other thing too. Now, I mean, we're going to be talking about this a lot. Um, is the 3D printers for guns now. Yeah, I was going to bring that up, but I wasn't sure for how much more I wanted to talk about this, but yeah. Well, I mean, it, what, what's fascinating to me about this now is, you know, there's lawsuits to stop it. I'm like, and I'm kind of, I'm, I'm laughing, I'm not laughing, because it's not funny at all, but, you know, we, we all know that if you pass a law to ban something, that's not going to ban it, right? You know, right. you know, if you want to smoke pot now and you're not in a state that you can't get it, I mean, you can smoke pot, so... um or whatever it is you want to do. So the fact that they're trying to keep people from selling plans for 3D guns, it's ridiculous. I'm sure you can get them right now somewhere. You're going to be able to. And then at that point, you know, it'd be like you go back to that. What was the um, the Clint Eastwood movie? Uh, oh, uh, in Line of Fire. Or whatever. Line of Fire, right? Yeah. 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 Right. The guy is the model, mm-hmm. and then he just has to be real cute about how he gets the one bullet in. I mean, that that's going to be something that keeps us up at night or people like me up at night for a long time coming and it's coming and when there's nothing to stop it, I don't think so. Yeah. yeah. So at that point, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know when you get defeated from this. I don't know when you say, Hey, is, is it worth it for the expense of putting metal detectors in and staffing them and all that? Um, if it's going to get really easy to evade it, I don't know. Yeah. Good point. Off the seasons. Good point. All right, let's all have right, some fun. Okay. <laughs> all right. Um, all right, here's the thing. I love this. All right, so whatever your biggest bad beat story is, forget giving a dollar to Chris for it. Sorry, Chris, you're going to have to find a new way to, to make a living. Damn. Uh, from now on, you owe it to R.J. Bergman. He was playing one through <laughs> no limit at Casino Del Sol in Tucson, Arizona. When his pocket nines flopped quads, another player had pocket tens and had flopped top boat. And with minor action on the turn on the turn card of Jack of Diamonds, the river brought the Ten of Diamonds, and Bergman and the player with now quad uh, tens turned their hands over for a share of the $18,000 bad beat jackpot. But wait, Chris! The third player in the hand turned over King of Diamonds, Queen of Diamonds for a rivered straight flush, meaning <laughs> the pocket tens, quote-unquote, moved up to the biggest share of the jackpot, $9,000. The straight flush player took the smaller amount, $4,500, and Bergman, who had flopped quads... Had to settle for the table share of six hundred and sixty-five dollars with the third best hand. 
This is just insane. Are you so? It must be explicit in the rules that the person with the best hand gets X, and the person with the second best hand gets X because or Y because it, if if it's a bad beat where if you have your quads beaten, he should be splitting that second share with the other guy. <laughs> Am I wrong? I don't understand well, it, that. It's a bad beat jackpot. It's not a worst beat jackpot. but Right, so it's a bad beat. And it says <laughs> if, as long as you have quad nines beaten, you get a share of that money. You get the – it doesn't say – unless it says explicitly in the rules where the first hand wins, the second hand gets the other half or whatever, and then the rest of the table. You know what I mean? He should be splitting that money with the tens. Uh, that's a very good question. I'm sure uh, our our poker professionals that are our poker room professionals that are listening might weigh in on that. But uh, it, it's possible that, that no one's ever anticipated this happening. I've never heard of this happening. I mean, I'm sure it probably did at some point. Um, but <laughs> I'm like, this is there's so much crazy about this that it might be so crazy that it's never been addressed in that. Yeah, I, I that is it, it should be. I mean, the guy got six hundred sixty-five bucks, but he really should get forty-five hundred. And I, I don't know if I were him, I what I would well, do. I but what do you do? What do you tell the guy with the pocket tens then? So well, they he both gets, had bad beats. They both get this. They split that share. Just like if you both win at right, ten well, yeah, or whatever. Not, if he's not gonna get forty-five hundred. You get twenty-two fifty then. No, no, no. pocket tens guy gets the most. So oh, uh, well, and then the other two spot, spot right. The, so they both get forty-five hundred. The other guy who won the hand gets forty-five hundred. They oh, all okay. get forty-five hundred. Nine thousand forty, and the other two is split to forty five hundred. I get it. All right. Hmm. So the tens and the nines would get forty five hundred each, and the winner would get forty five hundred. They all get forty five hundred. See, when you lose the hand, then you're the winner of nine nine thousand right. dollars. So the pocket right. nines should get the nine thousand split with the tens. They should both get forty five hundred. To me, I don't understand how that guy doesn't get money because he. They say this is what you need to do to qualify. You have to have quads beat. By quads or a straight flush. Well, I had quads beat. Doesn't say I got to finish second in the hand. It says I have to have quads beat, and his quads were beat. That guy should not get six hundred sixty-five dollars. It's all Very interesting. You know what? I'm going to have to go read some of the uh, the bad beat uh, verbiage now. To yes, yes, please. Not, but please do that because I think this guy's got a case. If, if they don't say explicitly, the hand that finishes second gets the most, and the hand that finishes first gets the second most. And then all other hands will get the table share. If it doesn't say that explicitly, he's got a case on his hands. But I'm just bringing it out, sending it out there, whatever. <laughs> okay, any updates? We have six more upcoming Annie Up Poker Tour events with five opportunities to play your way onto the cover of Annie Up Magazine and more to be announced soon. Here's where we're going next. Deep Stack Series at the Venetian Las Vegas, September 3rd to the 23rd. Pearl River Poker Open at Pearl River Resort in Choctaw, Mississippi, October 25th, November 4th. Bequiva Hotel and Casino near Phoenix, March 23rd to the 31st. Annie Up World Championship and Annie Up NorCal Classic at Thunder Valley Casino Resort near Sacramento, California in July of 2019. And the Wild Horse Pass Hotel and Casino also near Phoenix, November 11th to the 16th. Our 2019 Annie Up Polar Cruise schedule includes a 16-night Panama Canal crossing, an 8-night Southern Caribbean adventure, and two shorter weekend cruises. Passengers on all sailings get a one-month membership to advanced poker training and a quick reference poker odds card from thegamblingschool.com. For more information, visit AndyUpCruises.com. And you can still actually get a cruise, a cabin, to our October 29th sailing out of Tampa, believe it or not. Well, two months to go. Yeah, still got time to get one. 
All right, find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game, and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been, email us at podcast at We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled. This week's prize is a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars, specializing in poker odds and math at poker911.net. Comes from Bob Morrisrow. He says, on the river at a home game, I was last to act and player A bet. Before I could act, the player next to player A showed his mucked cards just to player A. I had enough to raise, so I asked what the deal is. If I call or fold, it's significant. The other player ruled that if I raise, they would then show me the mucked cards. I wasn't comfortable with this for two reasons. One, if I raise, then player A knows what I don't have and has an advantage. For example, the river is a 7 and mucked cards were 7-7. Assuming that would have been top set and the nuts on board, my opponent knows I don't have the nuts and can re-raise me, taking away my ability to represent that. Two, sticking with the sevens example, if I raise and then see the mucked cards and realize I have the nuts on board now, I have an advantage. I know there are rules for accidentally exposing cards, but I did not find anything in the TDA rules addressing this specific issue. In my opinion... When the cards are exposed to player A only, both players will never be on the same level playing field, and therefore the river bet should have been taken back and checked down between us, especially given the fact it was a home game between friends. All right, Elliot says, apparently the other players in your home game are big fans of using Solomon's cut-the-baby-in-half solution to solve every inequity. (laughs) Their point is that since uh, he bet without having seen the third player's card, you shouldn't uh, see the cards until you bet either. This is flawed logic. Your first reason for not agreeing with their solution helps punctuate their argument. Since it is possible that the folded cards are relevant to the board, your ability to make a play may be stifled. To continue continue with this line of thought and bridge it to standardized rules of poker, your opponent received information to which he was not entitled at a pivotal moment in the action. The only correct remedy here is for you to get to see the cards before you act on the river. If a final betting round was canceled, every time someone showed the cards to a better after a better was placed, the players would take angle shots of players uh, they didn't like to prevent them from getting paid off on good hands or prevent their friends from getting bluffed off the pot. I recommend that in a home game and player del poker, all discards must be given to the player, shuffling the deck at the end of the hand for the purposes of mocking dead hands, no exceptions. Man, you, you annihilated that. <laughs> you read some words in there that weren't even there. Well, here's the thing: is I got braces now, so I'm I'm, I'm learning to talk with them. So you're wearing them while we're doing the show. Take them off, and I couldn't talk before, right? So it's only gonna be worse. No, and I got to keep them on for 22 hours a day, so I get them off of here quickly. Wow, so. 22 hours a day. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's an hour for the show here, so take one off. They're like, you, you just take them out to eat, and I'm like, well, I eat more than two hours a day. <laughs> That's sad, <laughs> but I've seen your stomach lately. It's true. <laughs> Well, I agree with Elliot, though. That's absolutely right. There's no reason why you shouldn't have seen those cards. Um, there's, there's, there's no reason for one person to get to see those cards because if there's more action now, he's got an advantage and it doesn't help. There's no reason why you should not have seen those cards. Uh, Bob should have seen those cards. Well, it's one more reason that players need to learn not to show their cards at any point. Yeah. Again, it's this, hey... Oh my gosh, woe be me, look what I'm folding. Forget that. You know, if you're folding, you're folding. At the end of the hand, again, is your buddy really going to believe they, and not believe that you, what you tell him you had? And if he does or doesn't, who cares anyway? You're playing poker. You physically show him the pocket tens. You can't <laughs> wait till they have to say, oh my gosh, I folded pocket tens there. He's going to go, no, you didn't. 
just, oh my gosh, it, it just drives me crazy. I just, I don't do this. I, I don't understand why other people do. I mean, I guess in, in, in a some level, I understand why people do it, but they shouldn't. Yeah, they shouldn't. Um, just quit doing it, and then you then you don't cause this problem because this is really a big problem now, right? So let's assume that player uh, A here didn't want to see those cards. He didn't ask to see them, right? Right. And so now the guy showed it to him, and now he is at – you could make an argument that he is at a disadvantage now when they have to turn the cards over because he's already made his bet. Mm-hmm. And then now our hero gets to act with that, and it's the correct ruling, but that guy put player A at a disadvantage. Yep. Now, maybe player A didn't mind that disadvantage. Maybe they're buddies and they show their cards to each other all the time. Whatever. That's fine. But I'm like, if I'm player A and I didn't ask to see those cards, I'm upset now. And I'm not upset at the ruling. I'm upset at the player for showing them to me. Yeah. Yeah. So you Uh, can just avoid all this by not being a Deutsche Bank. Just (laughs) fold your cards and then tell your buddy afterwards. I had tens. I promise you I did. Man, when was the last time you said Deutsche Bank on the show? It's been a while. I don't think it's, it's been like three months, maybe. Got to get you to say all oh, juice. <laughs> we have a new O'Malley's move. Here it comes. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. We're still playing 2-3, no limit hold'em, and our stack has dwindled significantly. Our last table broke, and we're at a new table with only three other players from the previous table. This table is ten-handed. We've been playing at this table for about a half hour and sit with around 175, down 125. Again, we're in the small blind and post. The big blind posts. We get two callers to the cutoff, who makes the standard $15 raise. A little light with two callers, but it's folded to us, and we look down at the ace of spades, king of clubs. Okay, a premium hand in the worst position at the table. I'm going to raise here. We make it $45 to go. An MP calls. This player has been pretty solid, but relies too much on his reads. He sizes both us and the cutoff up before making this call. He sits with around 400. The cutoff also thinks for a short time before calling. He's also a decent player, but can have difficulty laying down a hand when he's beat. He started the hand with 250. There's around 125 in the pot, and the flop is the 8 of spades, 7 of spades, deuce of clubs. I really don't like c-betting into more than one opponent, so in my mind, we took our shot, we missed, and it's time to move on to the next hand. We check. To our surprise, the other players check as well. The pot stands at 125-ish, and the turn is the 5 of spades. So, we have 130 in our stack, the ace-high flush draw, and two overs. What's the move? All right, it's time for the advancedpokertraining.com hand of the week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Comes from our Ohio ambassador, Brian Bly. And he said, uh, I was playing 1-3 No Limit at Rivers Casino at Pittsburgh on a Saturday night. They were running a fun cash game promotion called the Hand of the Hour which worked like this. For the first hour, the hand of the hour was aces full of deuces. The first player to make aces full of deuces would win a $400 bonus. And if no one made aces full of deuces during that first hour, the hand of the hour would change to aces full of trays, and the bonus <laughs> would increase to $800. Oh, 
and then aces fold fours for $1,200 and so on. So first of all, before we get into the hand, one, I like this promotion, but two, it seems weird that they're moving up rather than down, right? I guess if you move down, you're going to get a lot of money in there, right? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> if you move up, you're building up a big pot. If you move down, it's going to be hit rather easily. Yeah, it's probably more likely you, you get more spread the money out to more people. More more $400 get hit than yeah. $2,400. Although, you know what? It is still a hand of the hour, so it's still a specific hand that needs to be hit. It's not very difficult to hit aces full of deuces, so... You know what I mean? It's just it's a specific hand. So I guess it really doesn't matter. Probably could go down. It probably had the same effect. I mean, it's well, going to be it's hard the rollover that makes a big difference. If they just <laughs> if they didn't roll it over and there's if no one hit that hand for that hour, then you pick another hand and it's still four hundred dollars. That'd be different. But it rolls over rolls here. Over. So yeah, you know. So if you made it royal flush of hearts, you know the chances of that hitting in a week are pretty weak, <laughs> right? Okay, so. Right. So you're almost guaranteeing that it's going to go to 800, and then if you make it a straight flush, you're almost guaranteeing it's going to be 1200 before someone hits, and then all the way down. So yeah, Oof. you know, it, I guess if we went that way, that's kind of the good middle ground between a bad beat jackpot and a high hand promotion. You know, because we're always talking about how much we like high hand promotions because they're easier to hit and smaller, and yeah. that is back on the table, yeah. and the bad jackpot goes to buy a boat, right? Here, I mean, now you, you're slowly moving. You're still getting people playing because there's a chance of hitting it for $400. But they also know it's unlikely anybody is. So if they keep playing for a couple hours, they'll get to a hand that they can't hit. And it'll be a big, a bigger amount. Again, mm -hmm. not life changing but hmm, I don't know. Interesting. All right. So uh, Brian says this hand came up during the sixth hour of the promotion. The bonus had ballooned to $2,400 forever who could make aces full of eights. The dead man's Dead man's hand. The blinds posted, and there was a straddle to $6. Uh, there was a fold, and then a call, and then it was on me in middle position. said I was having an uneventful evening. I had bought in for 200 and sat with 201 <laughs> <laughs> Well, I hope the cocktail waitress was coming. Yeah. Yeah. Wanted, right? yeah, I knew that was coming. Uh, and he looked down at Ace-8 offsuit. Am I supposed to say something here? Uh, sure, I guess. You know, you don't have to. You can just... Uh, I just didn't know this was an actual hand of the week. It sounded like it was this uh, a hand of the week. It's gonna play out. Okay. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, yeah, you're trying to make that 2,400 bucks. You got great poker odds to play it. So I'd call the straddle. I think just to see what flops. If it flops two pair, you're off to the races. If it flops an eight, I'd be cautious. But I'm not raising with it. I don't think because you don't you don't really want people to fold and give you the money because you can't make the 2,400. That's the whole reason you're playing the hand. Yeah, so this is one of those examples of why some people don't like these kind of promotions because it changes the poker, right? So. Yeah, yeah. Normally, you would fold this hand, and now you're keeping somebody in, which is good if they you don't hit it, <laughs> and you have something better, right? Yeah. Bad if they do hit it, uh, because they would have never played it before. So it works both ways, which is what I always tell people. So you just got to be cognizant of what the promotion is and how it affects. So, you know, if I see some kind of board that has an ace and an eight on it now, I'm going to be a little bit more worried than I would have been had that not been the hand of the hour, right? Right. All right, um, our hero says this would normally be an automatic fold, but because of the hand of the hour, I decided to limp along, hoping to flop two pair of trip aces for a shot at 2400 bucks. A young man to my left also limped, and the button folded, both blinds folded, and the straddler checked his option. The flop came ace, nine, tray, rainbow. The straddler checked, so as did the early position player, and now it's on us. Uh, it's got to go runner runner for us to hit the special now, which I don't think is going to happen. So I'm likely going to just bet here and 
I don't know what half the pot or something and just two thirds the pot maybe. Um, and then hope, hope to just take it down. And if I don't, then, uh, be cautious. But I, I, I feel like, uh, I'm not going to make that $2,400 bet. So, um, let's, let's just, uh, let's just make enough of a bet to try to take the hand out now. Yeah, I think you make a good point. The the mission of the hand has changed now, so um, we might as well try to try to win the pot now rather than win the twenty four hundred. Although I imagine a lot of people would probably check here and and hope to it checks around and and get that eight. But even then, at that point, you you do have to, as you mentioned, run a runner. So yeah. Um, all right, let's see. Uh, our hero says, "I decided to check and hoping and getting a free card. I'm possibly approving on the turn. The young man checked behind." But the turn was not much help. A harmless six. So our board now is uh, ace, nine, tray, six. And he said there'd be no hand of the hour for me. And once again, it's checked us. Um, Jeez. It's a pretty harmless board, but... I mean, I probably am betting here. It's just... Uh, I'm trying to figure out ace, nine, tray, rainbow, and... Um, I mean, if somebody had a hand that beat us, why wouldn't they have bet? So, I don't know. I feel like we're ahead, but cautious. So, I don't know. I'd probably bet, I don't know, 15. Because it's not really a draw out there, so 15 should take it down if nobody has anything. If somebody has something, then then they're going to call or raise you, and then you'll know where you stand. But at this point, I think 15 is enough to take down a pot of, I don't know, 25 30, what's $25, $30 in there, so $24. So I don't know. I I think fifteen is probably a good enough bet to take it down. I think I think we need to bet. I feel like if somebody had something that beat us here, they would have bet already. Already bet. Yep. Absolutely. I agree. So yep, I'm gonna bet the same amount. So let's okay. see what happens. Um, all right. Our hero says I decided to take a stab. Maybe my pair aces was good after all. I bet twenty dollars in the pot of about twenty five, but the young player announced a raise to fifty. The other two players quickly folded and back on us. Hmm. That's not good. We don't have a great kicker either. Hmm. Well, we still have aces, and he didn't bet his ace earlier, so if he has an ace, then there's a chance that we're going to be out-kicked here. But it feels like if somebody had something better than that, they might have raised an ace-nine. You know, they had the Casenza they'd raise, maybe. Um, Ace-jack and higher they might raise. So, I don't know. Maybe we are ahead still. I don't know. Uh, maybe the guy just uh, doesn't believe us, you know. And it's a smallish raise. It's a min raise. Almost a min. It's a little more than a min raise. Um, geez, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call and then and then see what he does on the river. And maybe I'll two pair. Who knows? Yeah, I guess what I'm interested in here is if this player had an ace, why would he not have bet before this? I mean, he was in late position on a flop with an ace. No one showed any interest. Yeah. It almost makes me think that he doesn't believe us, thinks that we're taking a stab because no one else is yeah. showing interest and raising to see how serious we are. And, you know, sometimes that min-raise will work in that case. You know, if you've got nothing, then you as soon as you put that raise in, the, the cards, your opponent's cards are in the muck already, right? And he's laughing, right? So... It's a, a high percentage move to make at times, so, um, you know, heck, I don't know. I, and then and what kind of combination does he have? I guess, you know, you always worry about the sets, but, you know, maybe he has a, 
set of sixes now. But other than that, nothing else really makes sense there. I mean, this is some kind of weird. There, there's even not even a, a weird two pair that makes sense in a six dollar straddle pot, right? Yeah. Uh, nine six or three six i mean uh, i don't know i i, I kind of feel like you know he could have like an ace nine ace ten but again i think those hands would have bet too so i kind of feel like we're ahead but i don't feel like we're ahead enough that i want to re-raise here i think i'll just call uh call the bet and check the river and see if we go to showdown and if not you know reassess if he makes another bluff at it or what i think it's another bluff at it so we're calling yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. All right, uh, it's back on us. Uh, our hero says, I sighed and said to my opponent, it's not the $30 I'm worried about, it's the bet that's coming on the river. So that was being completely honest. My opponent's reaction told me that he was confident and I was almost certainly behind. I continued by saying, if you're up for it, I could put in the $30 if we agree to both check the river. Another player said to me, he won't have to check the river. He'll just bet it anyway. And I said, no, I don't think he'll do that. He seems honest to me. The opponent said, I can't agree to that. So I had the $30 chips in my left hand and my cards in my right hand ready to mock them. I hesitated, turned to him one last time. You're sure you don't want, you don't want, just want the $30? He appeared to be on the fence. He thought about it for a few seconds and said, yeah, okay, put in the $30. Began wrapping the table as a river card was being dealt. It was an eight giving me two pair. I'll stop the story now to see what you're going to do here. Oh, geez. Well, I mean, if you want to lose the entire respect of the people at the table in the poker room, you bet now. <laughs> if you if you uh, want to hold up your end of the bargain and, you know, not be a hypocrite because you just told the other guy, you know, hey, I think he's honest. I don't think he'll do that to me. So now then you're going to come out and not check. So you have to check and just if he bets, then then all bets are off. How's that? Pardon the pun. If he, if he bets, then you clearly have the green light to now raise the guy. If he doesn't bet and you check to him, then, hey, I'm sorry I rivered you, but we had an agreement and I saved you money. Because if I don't say anything, I just call a bet and I river it. Now I check to you, you bet again. Now you cost yourself. So actually, this probably saved the guy money. So I would just check to him. I, I Because of the if you didn't say anything from the beginning, then you have no worries. But because you said something, now... I really feel like you're obligated. You don't have to. It's just ethically, it's it's kind of uh, Deutsch bankery. Deutsch bankery. <laughs> if you if you bet now, so I would just check. Yeah, I think uh, I think boy, you got to be like a really uh, cold person here to bet here <laughs> after you made that big speech, and, yeah. and then even. You had somebody saying, no, your opponent's not going to do it. And you said, no, he seems honest. And then you turn around like, ha, ha, sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's really kind of tough. So, yeah, I think you got to check here. Yeah. Um, all right. So that's what we do. And here says, true to his word, the bill immediately checked behind. And, I, and he confidently turned over ace king. He said, I somewhat sheepishly announced, I think I rivered you sorry as I turned over my two pair. My opponent was very unhappy. The rest of the table was very amused. The young player seemed to go on tilt with that. He lost a few uh, big pots and quietly went bust uh, within 20 minutes. So my questions uh, are, from my perspective, how badly did I play that hand strategically? But uh, And also, did I cross any sort of ethical line by offering him the deal? And how would you judge the play of my opponent? It's been a few weeks, and I'm still not sure how I feel about it, other than it's an amusing story for me to recall. 
Well, first of all, I'm going to say that the third player was the one who made the biggest problem. He should never have said anything. He'll just bet the river anyway. If you guys are heads up, no one should be talking about the hand. Right. Exactly. That's the biggest you know, faux pas in all this. Uh, strategically, I think you cost yourself money because you're river two pair. Um, I never, I tried, I've made that mistake before where like I tell a guy, you know, go ahead, bet. Cause whatever you bet, I'm calling. And then the guy bets a ton. You know what I mean? You're, 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 you're giving them more information than you really should be. But in this case, it saved you money had you not river two pair, but it, it cost you money because you did river two pair. So the best bet is just not say anything at all. So strategically, I think you probably misplayed it. He asked how badly. I mean, I don't know, could have put a percentage on it, but I would say you cost yourself money. So however much money you thought you could have got on there on the end there is how badly you played this hand. Um, <clears throat> ethically, no, I don't have a problem with ethically. We talk about it all the time in our home game when we're heads up. Hey, you want to just chop it now because we're playing, you know, pine, you know, pine, crazy pineapple with two boards or something crazy, and we're like, hey, I know you tell what board you're going for because there's no way you got the other board, and let's just get on with it. We want to play as many hands as possible on our home game. So people have conversations all the time. If you're making a deal with somebody and he wants to agree to that deal, I don't know. I guess there's some sort of collusion that could be viewed there. Um, hey, let's get everybody out of the hand and then just agree not to bet anymore. That's kind of collusional, if that's a word. Collusional. Um, love it. So I don't know. Ethically, I think having a conversation with somebody and – there's no reason why this guy has to live up to your deal. And he already said at the end of it that he can't agree to it. So there was no collusion there anyway. Um, but, yeah, ethically, it's very close to being over the line, I think. The, the fact that you're making a deal um, after other people were in the hand and got out. It's it's one thing if it's, like, between the blinds and they're chopping or something. That You know what I mean? That's, hey, let's just move on. Um, so I don't know, ethically it's really close, but I still think you, you, you would have passed. Hmm. Interesting. All right. First of all, I think in terms of the hand, I think you hit it right on the head that, uh, the, 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 how badly you played is proportional to how much money you would have got out of your opponent here. And you would have got some money out of your opponent, right? Yeah, I think so. Cause it depends. I mean, if you would have bet that river, which I guess is probably you're supposed to do there, um, It'd be top, a top call at Ace King at that point, right? Because now you got to think, you know, what, what does he have finally? What, what did he finally get now? And I only have top pair. Although it's hard to imagine to be folding there in a one-three game, but um, so more likely maybe you check and then he bets one more time on the river, and that's the money that you would have got. So um, it's probably not a lot of money either way, to be honest. So yeah. probably not that big a deal. Um, now, in terms of the the ethics here, I mean, one, I, I don't like to talk at the table. So this is not a situation I would ever get myself in. I know lots of people like to talk at the table. Um, I, I, I don't have any problem with this. I mean, he offered a deal and the opponent accepted it and both lived up to the terms of the deal. Right. So how can anybody be upset about this? Um, from our hero's perspective, um he was willing to wager $30 that he would improve on the river, right? And Or that he wouldn't improve on the river and he, he might win with his ace high. Or pair of aces, I mean, right? Right. And the opponent was wagering $30 that if 
our hero improved, it wouldn't cost him any more money. And that's what happened, right? So, you know, they both bet $30 uh, to see who was going to win and not get any more for winning. <laughs> and that's what happened. So, I mean, I, I guess if the guy is really upset, I guess I would explain it this way. I'm like, had I called without that deal and then you bet and I raised you and you called, would you be happier? Yeah. I mean, he limited the amount he lost. I mean, this really worked more in his favor than it did ours. I mean, I guess you could make the argument that if he didn't accept the deal, he would have folded, but that was on him. He could have, he initially said, no, I can't agree to that. And if he would have stuck to his guns, he would have won $25 instead of losing $25 or losing $55. Yeah. I mean, I, I can see why this guy was unhappy that he got rivered, but he couldn't have been unhappy with what we did. And I mean, he might've been unhappy that the fact that he confidently shows Ace King and then we say we think we rivered him, and we know we rivered him. He had Ace King, and he didn't have more than two pair. So maybe that got him a little steamy. I don't know. Um, but he can't be unhappy with the deal he made because you still called his bet, and he still could have, you know, and he saved himself money. So if he bets on the river, he loses even more money. So, uh, you know, I don't think that. My thing is that I think someone else not in the hand could be upset by it. Because well, I don't you know could, about that. You could turn to somebody and say, "Hey, so I didn't know if all this hand was going to cost me was a maximum of thirty dollars. I might have drawn drawn out for the straight because I had a gutter, or you know, what I mean, that's the thing that bothers people is once you're not yeah. in the hand anymore. I mean, that's a tough argument to make, isn't it? Because uh-huh. one, you can't make a deal when it's three handed. You can only make deals when it's two handed. So you know, they made a deal when it's two handed. Their heads up. They're allowed to talk. And come up with whatever they want to. So if you want to be part of that deal, you shouldn't have folded. And then there wouldn't have been a deal. So it just looks it smell it doesn't really pass the smell test if you got two guys I making bet. deals because then you get everybody out of the hand and then you make a deal. So it's like, well, wait a minute, how do I know you guys aren't colluding now? You know, Scott and I go to a home game, we know each other, and I know that if I make it twelve, Scott's gonna make it thirty six, we're gonna get heads up, we're gonna get that money in the middle from the terrible call. We float the guy intentionally, we go home, we split the money. There there there's a, a a smell test here that it really doesn't pass when you make deals like that. We do it in the home games. We're all friends and we're not colluding, but you know, in this case it's, I don't know. It's in a casino in Pittsburgh. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I can see other people saying, Hey, you know, what the hell? How are you guys now getting heads up and spending only $30? If I knew it was only going to cost me 30 to try to hit my gut shot or to hit my open ender instead of it being 90, because I thought you're going to re-raise for 90 or, you know what I mean? I don't know. I, I can see people not being happy about it. It is a hard argument. I'm not saying they defend it. Well, it, yeah, you're right. I, obviously, people get upset about everything at the table, yeah, whether they yeah. it or not. So uh, I'll agree with you on that. I would say if this hand had played out much differently, that would be a much stronger argument. If there was a lot of action on the flop and then it slowed down and then they made this deal, that'd be different. But there was like almost no action in this hand. So. But is there should there be black and white rules with stuff like this? I mean, you say, oh, who now who determines when it's enough action to make it ethically wrong? Who who determines how much of that money? Oh, I only lost six dollars on that hand instead of me being involved for forty and then having to make a deal. At what point? Wh- where's the line? So I think it really should be black and white. You should just. Well, I don't yeah, know. This goes back. This is why I don't talk. So I don't, yeah. I don't. I don't know cause these problems, but you know, um, no deals. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think we need to go all the way to rules on this, but. You know, maybe, I mean, really the rule should be in a room, I mean, are you allowed to talk at all? And if you are allowed to talk, 
what's the limitations on your talk? Are you allowed to make deals? Yeah, no deals. That's the thing. Run it twice or check it down or whatever it is. Okay, if you are, then do you need to rule after that for that? I mean, so that's a room to room by room kind of thing. So, you know, I don't know. If, certainly not a poker standard thing. Because then you could expand it to like tournaments when you're over, tournaments over and they wait for the ninth guy to get knocked out before they say, okay, let's make our deal now. It's like that poor ninth guy is like, if I known you guys were going to make a deal, maybe I wouldn't have played that hand. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? They start talking about deals. So I don't know. I think it's. Well, but I think in both of those cases and a lot of these cases too, I think making a rule is um, overreaching. Um, yeah. I, I think a lot of this stuff works itself out by just the discussion at the table afterwards. You know, if at the, at the end, and obviously everybody else was very amused here, but let's say somebody at the table wasn't amused and said, you know, hey, whatever, I wasn't in the hand. It's not a big deal. It was a small pot, but I really don't think you guys should be making those kind of deals. I think it puts players at a disadvantage. Now you start a conversation and maybe the player involved didn't think about it at the time and said, you know, you're right. I'm sorry. and doesn't do it again. Um, other players maybe think about it, maybe not do it, or you have a discussion where like, you know, Hey, you're wrong. I think this should happen. Yeah. And it works itself out in conversation and then, and then it trickles down in the future play of those players. So Very a rule much more difficult, you know, yeah. more rules that is something than, um, the harder it is to remember all the rules, to be honest, too. <laughs> yeah, very interesting situation. So when ethics are involved, it, you can't. It's always gray. It's no black and white. And in this case, it's I don't know. If you just say no deals, then that's that's it. Then there's no deals. So you could talk all you want, to somebody about hey, you know, what do you got and all that crap. But the, the, you know, just knocking people out of hands and then making deals certainly smells fishy to a lot of people, whether it's true or not. You know, in this case, obviously Brian didn't know the guy and he wasn't doing anything wrong, but you don't know that as far as if you're another player and that's just it's ethics are ethics are a gray area hey i'm chris casenza and i'm scott long we will see you at the table anti-up is a production of antiupmagazine.com contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344 if you'd like to advertise Send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.